Our gospel reading today is going to be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I'm not sure what verses I am doing. 38 through 42. 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their own way into a certain village, there was a woman whose name was Martha, and she welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted, and so was I. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about so many things. There is, not need, for, there is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. So on Wednesday, I had a super busy day. Looks like Martha had a busy day. I had a busy day on Wednesday. At noon, I dropped the kids off at my mother-in-law's to spend the night. And then I went to Walmart to pick up those school supplies, which was a larger endeavor than I anticipated. I thought it was going to be like 20 minutes, and I went in there. That was wrong. It took me a while to get to, to accomplish all that. And so I came back to the church at around like 2.15-ish, and I was very proud because I backed my car all the way up to that door. I don't know if that makes anybody else proud, but it made me really proud. Um, so I backed the car, and I was unloading stuff. And I don't know if you remember Wednesday, but it was about 107 degrees. Um, and so as I was, then those aren't light. And so I was carrying them for a minute, and I was getting very hot. And I noticed that the sewing ladies were here, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit. I'm going to move some things, and then I'm going to sit. And so I talked to Sierra for a while, and then I got up for a little bit, and then I sat down for a little bit, and I moved stuff. It was great. And I talked to a bunch of the sewing ladies and had a good time until I looked at my uh, watch clock. I don't wear a watch. Um, I looked at my phone and noticed it was 2.45, and I was like, <gasps> i got to be back here in an hour. And so... <laughs> Uh, because we were taking the youth rock climbing, so I had to leave here, go get gas, clean the car out so children could fit in my car, um, and change my clothes, and come back here by 3.45. So I pulled in here at exactly 3.45. Uh, I did all those things. I came back here at 3.45, and then from about 4 to 8, Corey and I and Zach and Shelby so gracefully, uh, graciously came with us, and we took half a dozen teenagers to go rock climbing, which I don't know if you've ever been rock climbing. It's harder than it looks. Um, it's very difficult, and they had fun. I don't know that I'm ever going to do that again, but they had a lot of fun. Um, I couldn't get off the ground. Like, it was just the... I don't know. It was harder than it looked. It was very difficult. So we did all these things. We got the kids back here by 8. So um, seemingly in my head, we had a night without the kids. Like we have everything done by 8, right? We have a night. No, because I was asleep at 8.30. Nothing happened. We didn't go out. We didn't do anything. I fell asleep because I was exhausted from running and doing all this stuff all day in the heat. Um, but if I look back on the day, I think I had a really good day. I had a good day. At one point in my shopping at Walmart, when I was digging through a barrel to get those uh, crayons, this woman came up to me, and she handed me $5, and she said, I don't know what you're doing, but I want you to buy more crayons for those kids. 
And so I took the $5 and I thanked her and we talked for a minute. And it was a gracious, beautiful time with her for a minute. And then when we took the kids rock climbing, I have a lot of physical complaints on my own part because I wasn't good at it. But I saw these kids conquer some fears. I saw one of our girls climb this thing that was really hard and her knees were shaking and she was about to cry. But then she did it. She did it. And it's a beautiful thing to walk through these things with these people. It was fun. We did things that we didn't think were possible. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. But it was work. It was a lot of work. And so we just read this passage of Mary and Martha, and where it really seems like Jesus is telling Martha and Mary that the busyness part, that that's a farce, that work can wait. The part that we always think is important, the doing, it kind of seems like he's saying that's not the important part. But what's really being conveyed here? What is he trying to tell us in this text? I'm going to read it one more time. It's just four verses. It's a very quick gospel reading. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Now as they went on their way, they entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister. Her name was Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered so sweetly, Martha, Martha, you are distracted and worried about many things, but there is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will never be taken away from her. Okay, it seems like in that text that we're acknowledging this is Martha's home. She owns that home. That's her space, right? That's Martha's home. Presumably, from what we understand from culture in the text, Mary lives there. That's what I get out of that. Mary lives there with her sister Martha. And the first thing that Mary does when Jesus enters into the home that she lives in is that she bucks tradition and status quo. As a woman, Mary should have been in the kitchen. As a woman, Mary should have been being hospitable. She should have been helping. But she chose to insert herself into a role normally reserved for men. That was the role of men at the foot of the rabbi. That was a job for men. So did Mary come up with this all by herself? Did she just look at society and culture and see how it functioned and decide to toss it all out the window all by herself? Or did Mary know? Did Mary know Jesus that well, well enough to know that he would not only not chastise her, not get on to Mary, but he would praise her, he would elevate her, Did she know? I think so often we look at the story and ask, well, am I being a Mary or am I being a Martha? I think I've even read Christian books called Being a Mary in a Martha's World and things like that. Like, these are the questions we ask. Am I a Mary or am I a Martha? Who am I supposed to be emulating? Am I supposed to be emulating Mary or am I supposed to be emulating Martha? When the answer probably is neither. The answer is we probably should be emulating Jesus 
we probably should be trying to be like Jesus. Jesus entered the house and completely flipped the script on those gender roles. He was forcing equality where equality was not welcomed. He was demanding compassionate disobedience in a society that was insistent upon oppression. A society that had second-class citizens. A society where women lacked value. Jesus was demanding equal footing for all. I watched a documentary this week. Well, if I was honest, I watch a bunch of documentaries this week. I'm on a documentary kick. But I watched a documentary this week called The Accountant of Auschwitz. Anybody seen that one? I read a book about The Accountant of Auschwitz. Um, it's on Netflix. If you haven't, you should see it if you like history. I really do. Um, the premise of this whole documentary is that the Nuremberg trials failed. That of all the atrocities that happened in Nazi Germany, that not enough people were actually punished. So this goes through a time where in the late 90s and early 2000s, the German government decided to find Nazi SS guards that were still living and prosecute them, to bring them to trial. And this one particular individual in question in the documentary that I watched, he was 94 years old, he was an SS guard, but he never physically killed anyone. His job was just to take the money. He just counted the money. When the Jewish people came in on those trains and they were stripped of all of their belongings, his job was to sort the good from the bad, to take that of value, and to count it. And honestly, when you watch the first half of the documentary, it is very difficult not to feel extreme compassion for this old man. He's old and he's feeble and his hands are shaking and, and you think, how could he have ever done anything wrong? It's hard not to feel extreme compassion. I know that I did. But then the prosecutor begins to talk to him and ask him questions. And he said, you know, why did you think you were counting their money? Why did you think you had to count their money? And he replied, because I knew they would no longer need it. So they gave it to the state. 94, 75 years after it happened, he said, I knew they would no longer need it. So in his mind, they gave it to the state. 70 years later, and he's still trying to convince himself that he's just following orders. That he never pulled a trigger, that he can't be held responsible for the atrocities that he saw. Luckily, he was found guilty as an accessory to murder for over 300,000 people. And he was sentenced at the age of 96 for the rest of his life. But 2,000 years before all of this, Jesus was trying to tell us that the status quo isn't always okay. That just because it's what we've always done, that doesn't work in the kingdom. The society and culture may have its own demands, but the gospel, the gospel demands something completely different. Last week, Corey preached on the Good Samaritan, where Jesus uses a parable to remind us that racism is anti-gospel. And this morning, we are reminded of the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus says, I know society says woman's place is over here. You may have heard it said, but I say unto you, genders are equal, 
And people, all people, people are equal. People are equal. And in a society that demonizes those who don't look like us or don't talk like us or don't seem to be like us, we must resist the urge to be thrown by the cultural wind. Because the accountant of Auschwitz can be a cautionary tale to us. Because we can only self-preserve for so long. We can only follow the rules of law because it's easier than going against the grain for so long. If we are not careful, we will struggle in our lives to try to call evil good and good evil. Just to justify our own mistake and missteps in life. When the God of love is actually calling us to a compassionate disobedience. He called Martha, I mean, sorry, he called Mary to that compassionate disobedience. There will be a time in our lives when, like Martha rebuking Mary, the society may demand us to stop listening to Jesus and to fall in line. That's what Martha wanted. To do what he's supposed to, to do what she's supposed to do. That's what Martha wanted. Just do what you're supposed to do. Stop listening and just do what you're supposed to do. But we must resist. We must resist the urge to silence Jesus because it's easier than listening to Jesus. Jesus called us to go against the grain. He demanded grace when retribution feels better. He demanded that we strive for equality when silence is actually simpler. We must resist the pull towards normalcy and push into the uncomfortable ways of Jesus. You may be asking yourself this question as I did when I reread my sermon. Did she just compare Martha, the sweet Martha of Scripture who just wanted some help in the kitchen, to some Nazi from Auschwitz. Is that what I just did? Maybe, maybe, kind of, maybe, maybe not. The first comparison would be that Jesus most definitely rebuked Martha. He did, as we assumed he would rebuke that accountant as well. And she seemingly received that rebuke because she was so used to the way that things were and the way things had been that she couldn't comprehend that Jesus was calling her to do anything different. Maybe he's calling us to do things differently than what society requires of us. And let's look at that text again. Where's Martha's flaw? What was her named problem? But Martha was so distracted by her many tasks, the text says. See, one of the great sins of our current generation and our current society is the glorification of busy, the idol of doing, and the false god of productivity. You can even see it if we rewind to the first two minutes of my sermon. Even when I'm writing a sermon deriding busyness, I was almost proud of the busyness I was telling you about at the beginning. It's because it's a sickness. It's an illness. This idea that to be good, we must be doing. It's a sickness. One that Martha was a full participant in. 
even to the point where she points her finger at Jesus and says, do you not even care? Do you not even care that my sister left me, Jesus? Do you not care? See, we must be vigilant as a community to stand against the evils of our society, whether it be racism or hatred or sexism or bigotry. And then we must be vigilant to stand up for the type of things, the kingdom things that Jesus is requiring us to stand up for, like equality and peace and hope and justice. But it's really hard to make those things our platform when we are so busy and so distracted and honestly so self-centered that we can't see the good work that Jesus is doing. Do you even care, Jesus? I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus cares. That Jesus cares. And like he told Martha, I don't care about all those things that you think you need to care about. I care about you. There's only one thing that you need, Martha. That's Jesus. We can say that Jesus is holding up Mary as an example of how to do things right and Martha about how to, things, how to not do things the right way. But ultimately, the thing that Mary did that was so right was she just sat down and listened. She set aside time to hear how much God loved her, cared for her, and wanted to be with her. She didn't follow some complicated list of steps. She was just taking time to hear her worth from her friends. And as we go about our week, I hope we take solace in the fact that in our distracted and busy lives that Jesus cares about us. He wants to be near us. And that the closer that we draw to Jesus, the more he will empower us to live a life like Jesus lived. That life that is filled with compassionate disobedience. A life that is filled with the desire to go against the grain. A life that is filled with love and hope and justice, peace and equality the characteristics of Jesus.